Welcome to the Dark Whales Tours podcast. On this podcast, we will explore the vast history of Wales, looking at the myths, legends and ghosts of this magical and mystical country. Wales has been the heart of Britain's supernatural beliefs for many centuries. And in this episode, we will be looking at creatures that have captured the imagination of generations of people the world over. They go by many names, imps, pixies, goblins, the fair folk, but their universally acknowledged name is fairies, or in Wales, the Tullith Teg. Fairies have played a role in mythology all over the world, often seen as mischievous, but overall perceived as mainly harmless. But is that actually accurate? As these creatures have played tricks on humankind for centuries. There have been, however, other darker and more frightening stories told. Stories of children being swapped at birth by the fair folk, replacing the human child with a frailer and more sinister substitute of their own. Widely known as changelings, there have been many legends and stories of changelings throughout Wales, which we'll also explore later in the episode. There has been a long history of such beings in Wales, Stories and legends passed down through the centuries, dating all the way back to the Mabinogion, a collection of stories on Welsh folklore compiled, it is thought, in the late 11th, early 12th century. The Celtic people would often summon the fair folk in order to bless the newborns, a ritual that has been immortalised in the fairy tale Sleeping Beauty. In the fairy tale, the king and queen invite a host of fairies to grant gifts to their daughter. However, they forget to invite one important fairy, and because of this, their daughter is cursed. This dark fairy would often symbolise the darker side of nature, with the other good fairies symbolising the peaceful side. It was often said that when the veil between the worlds were at its thinnest, then the fair folk could come from the fairy lands and enter into our world. This time was known as Samhain. We know it as Halloween. It was at this time when the fairy could come into our world and cause mayhem and mischief, luring innocent men back to their world in order to seduce them and turn them away from their religion and morals. These prisoners would only be able to return to our world if they could get a message to their loved ones to wait for them during the next Halloween, catch them as they passed along with the fairies. It was sometimes said that the Queen of the Fairies would roam on Halloween night looking for a mate to take back with her. This unfortunate man would be forced to eat fairy food, which would slowly dull his senses and cloud his mind, making him forget his life in the human world. There have been many places in Wales that have been associated with the fair folk, either as doorways into their worlds or places where their hybrid descendants live. As sometimes fairies who crossed into our world would take a liking to humans and decide to stay in the human world. This was the case with Betoscarman in Caernarvon a family lived there for many centuries called the Pellings family. It was said that they were descendants of a marriage between a man and a fairy named Penelope. The fairy consented to the marriage 
on the condition that her husband would never strike her with iron. The man, of course, agreed to this. They went on to live an incredibly happy life together, even having a son and daughter. They became very wealthy farmers and their harvest was always successful and plentiful due to Penelope's fairy magic. However, one day one of their ponies escaped and in order to catch it, the farmer grabbed a bridle and went off into the field to try to calm the pony down. As he took the bridle off the wall, he accidentally hit his wife with it. As soon as the iron rod had struck her, the fairy vanished, never to be seen again. Traditionally, it is actually said the fair folk have an affliction to iron in various mythologies. This tale is remarkably similar to another famous tale of a fairy marrying a human in Wales. At Llynavan Vach, a lake near Midvai, which is also known as one of the most magical places in Wales, fairies are said to haunt this dark and supposedly bottomless lake. One day, about 800 years ago, a farmer was grazing his cattle by the banks of the lake when he saw a human-sized fairy sitting on the lake combing her hair. The farmer was captivated by her beauty and decided that he had to marry her. She agreed on the condition that he would never strike her three times. If he did, then she would return to the waters and take with her all that she had given. The farmer agreed and after the wedding, the fairy called the animals from the fairy lands to come to the human world to help the farmer. The couple went on to have an incredibly happy marriage. They had three sons, the oldest of whom, a highly intelligent man named Rinatlan, became Midvai's most famous physician. One day, however, while in the market, the farmer tapped his wife on the shoulder. This, she said, was the first strike. The farmer was filled with remorse and promised never to do it again. A few years later, while attending a funeral, the farmer patted his wife. This was the second strike. As the years went by, the farmer was careful not to touch his wife in case she saw this as the third strike. Then, one day in the field, the farmer tugged his wife's arm to bring her closer to him, and this was deemed as the third strike. The fairy told her husband she was leaving him and walked towards Llynavan Vach. As she went, she called the animals by name and they followed her. They all then vanished. The farmer never saw his wife again. However, in this tale, the fairy appeared to her sons in order to teach them fairy magic. They all became successful physicians and Midvai became famous for its skilled doctors. Both of these tales end in the same way. The mortal husband accidentally breaks the conditions of the marriage and their fairy wives go back to the fairy lands, taking the animals that are the husband's livelihoods and leaving the men without a way to provide an income for themselves. The way these tales begin with a supernatural maiden living in a lake is reminiscent of the Greek water nymphs. A minor water goddess who lived in water and in some stories were even made out of water. The Greek hero Achilles was the son of a water nymph and it was due to her minor goddess status that she was able to take him to the underworld and dip him in the river Styx where he gained his invincibility. It is not just 
in Wales, however, where these interspecies marriages occurred in Britain. In Scotland, there was a tale of a fairy marrying the chief of the clan MacLeod. They had a son together, but their marriage was only allowed for one year and a day. When that time was up, the fair folk returned to take the fairy bride back to her own people. The fairy told her husband to make sure that their baby was never left alone to cry. He promised that the baby would always be attended on. One night, there was a huge party at the castle of Dunvegan, and the nanny snuck out to hear the singing. The baby woke and started to cry, but because the nanny was away, he was left to cry alone. Suddenly, his fairy mother appeared, wrapped him up in her shawl, and sang him a fairy lullaby to send him back to sleep. When the baby had grown into a man, he still held on to the shawl that his mother had wrapped him in. This fairy shawl, he was discovered, had within it fairy magic. When the clan was under threat, the head of the clan waved the shawl in the air and called for aid. The fairies answered and swooped down to save the clan. The shawl still exists today. It is on display at Dunvegan Castle, ready to summon the fairies should the castle ever be attacked again. There are many places throughout the Celtic world, especially in Wales, that reportedly have doorways to the fairy lands. One such doorway is located in the Brecon Beacons. Near one of the local lakes, legend says there was a secret door which opened every May the 1st to admit mortals into the fairy lands. However, one day a visitor stole a flower from the fairies, the doorway closed, never to reopen again. Years later, when the locals started to drain the lake in search of the fairy treasure, a giant rose on the water and threatened to drown their town and all the land around the River Wye if his peace was disturbed. Sometimes it was said that a doorway would just appear and an unsuspecting traveller would become trapped in the fairy lands. This was most common on Halloween as the barriers between the worlds were fading. Doorways would spontaneously appear, and as someone was walking down a wooded path, they would suddenly see changes around them. The colours got brighter, the ground got softer, and they would begin to see the fair folk darting around them. Travellers in Wales would also have to have their wits about them as they traversed the dark and rural country roads at night. Many a tale has been told about the Gwyllion, a female member of the fair folk was known to lead weary travellers astray, tempting them with her charms and advances. It was said that the Gwyllion could take on the form of an old woman that was wandering the mountains on misty days. If a traveller saw her, she would beckon them to follow her, but would always seem further ahead, so the traveller would have to quicken their pace. As they were focused on the Gwyllion, they would not notice the edge of the cliff until it was too late. As the poor traveller fell from the mountain, they would hear an unholy laughter coming from the Gwyllion as it vanished into thin air. The Gwyllion would also find its way into people's homes, where the homeowner would actually welcome it, but not out of kindness, but of fear of what may happen to them if they were to offend it. Many cultures around the world tell of similar beings, but that would conversely help them and aid them around the home. 
Such beliefs were rife in Slavic cultures amongst many others. Very similar in Wales were stories of the Puka, a mischievous creature or goblin from the land of the fair folk, who would at first offer help and assistance around the home, but then refuse to leave, tormenting the homeowners by hurling rocks or stones at them, or incessant banging or tapping that would last for hours on end. It is a tale from the 1700s at a farm near Abakan. One Christmas morning, there was a knock on the door. However, when the farmer went to see who it was, there was nobody there. This continued for a whole month, and the farmer's family became convinced that a pucker was behind it. A neighbor offered to shoot the pucker next time it knocked on the door. So the neighbor waited inside the house for it to appear. However, that evening, while the farmer was walking home, the pucker appeared to him and said that he knew the neighbor was waiting to shoot it and that they were fools to think they could shoot something they cannot see. The creature then vanished. When the farmer arrived home, he saw the neighbor sat by the fire being pelted with stones by an unseen force. The neighbor dropped his gun and fled home. The pucker then decided to move into the farm and live in the oven. From there it started the tormenting, playing the farmer's fiddle in the middle of the night, throwing crockery around the kitchen and throwing stones at anyone who complained about the noise. Eventually the farmer learned to live with the pucker, but his family were at their wits end. When an old man offered to stab the creature and get rid of it, the family allowed the old man to try. However, the pucker knew what the old man was up to and pelted him with stones until he dropped the knife and ran from the farm. The pucker then told the farmer that even though it was unsurpassed in the tormenting, it actually meant no harm. He said that the farmer was a good man but was surrounded by fools. Then on Ash Wednesday, the pucker disappeared just as suddenly as it had appeared in the first place. The farmer never knew why it came to torment him or why it stopped either. But then years later, when the farmer's son David was telling a priest about the incident, he also claimed that the pucker had been summoned by his brother Henry, who was messing and fooling around with the conjuring. Trying to use magic to summon and talk to the fair folk, seemingly called upon another creature of the fairy lands that then persisted in tormenting the family. It is, however, impossible to talk about fairies in Britain without discussing the famous Cottingley fairy photographs. In a quiet village in Yorkshire, 1917, two cousins, Elsie Wright and Francis Griffiths, were playing in a glen quite close to their home. Elsie took with her her father's camera and took a number of photographs with their fellow playmates. The first of these photographs showed Frances with her head in her hands and behind her a party of dancing fairies. The second photograph, taken not long after, showed Elsie with a little gnome about to jump into her hand. The girls showed Elsie's parents these photographs who thought the girls had somehow faked them. Not wanting to discourage the young girl's imagination as Elsie was 13 and Frances was 10, their parents put the photographs in the drawer and forgot about them. 
1920, Mrs. Wright attended a lecture on the belief of fairies. She then took the photos out of their storage and gave them with the negatives to psychic researcher Edward Gardner. Experts could not agree if the photographs were real or fake, so it was decided to give the girls a new camera and ask them to take more photographs. The plates in the camera were carefully marked and sealed by the manufacturer and checked again after they were developed. When the girls returned, they had taken a further three photographs, one of which showed Elsie with a fairy that had a 1920s hairstyle offering some flowers. Another showed Frances taken aback as the fairy in front of her leaps into the air. And the last one shows two fairies sunbathing. This final photograph is the only one not to feature either of the two girls. Edward Gardner and his friend Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes and keen spiritualist, published the photographs in the 1920 Christmas edition of the Strand magazine. This brought the photographs to the attention of the wider public and started a debate that continues to this very day. Are there really fairies at the bottom of the garden? Elsie and Francis went their separate ways and never took any more photographs, although they always maintained that the images were true likenesses of their visitors. However, in 1981, a keen believer, Joe Cooper, tracked down Elsie and asked if he could sit down and chat with her. She agreed to this, and during their conversation, Elsie actually admitted that the photographs were indeed fake. She revealed that she had copied the images out of a book called Princess Mary's Gift Book, published in 1914. She said she drew wings upon them, cut them out, and used hairpins to put them in place for the photographs. After this bombshell came out, Frances also admitted that four out of five of the photographs were fake. The last one, which did not feature either girl, was said not to have been faked, and Frances maintained that the photograph was indeed real. When asked why they did not come clean in the 1920s, Elsie said that they were too embarrassed. She said that when Conan Doyle got involved, they thought the best thing to do was keep their mouths shut, as they did not want his reputation to be tarnished by them. Frances said she never saw it as fraud. She just saw it as two little girls having a bit of fun and was surprised by how everyone was taken in by it. Frances died in 1986 and Elsie died in 1988. And even though they had admitted the photos were fake, they both maintained to the dying day that they did indeed see fairies, but they just didn't take any photographs of them. The fifth photograph, which Francis always claimed to be real, has, however, still got an air of mystery around it. Both girls claimed to have taken it, and neither of them could attest to how they had done it. This has led to experts saying that it could be the case that this photograph was a double exposure effect, where two photos became one. So perhaps Francis took one and Elsie took another, and during development the two photographs merged into one, thus the confusion as to who took the photograph. There have been far more frightening stories told 
in Wales, however, tales that would terrify parents the land over. The idea that the Tulworth Teg could enter their home and steal away their child to be replaced with one of their own kind. At first, the changeling child was said to appear normal, but over time, it would grow bad-tempered. It would kick and bite and develop a withered and shriveled face. For centuries in Wales, and indeed the world over, there have been countless such tales told. Today, when we look back, it is very likely that the poor children were in fact suffering from various different ailments. But our ancestors didn't have the knowledge of science and medicine that we do now, so they would quickly turn to the supernatural, often with devastating consequences. It was thought, if the Tulworth Teg thought one of their own were in danger, they would intervene and swiftly swap back the changeling child with the parent's own. So it was common practice to try to coax the fair folk out of hiding by applying brutal and somewhat sadistic methods which would often result in the poor child's death. Sometimes the methods of getting rid of such creatures did not harm the child but were just as strange and only known by the wise men of the village. There is a story from Clan Fabon in which a young mother who adored her newborn baby started to notice the baby was beginning to change. He grew wrinkled, would grumble and spit into the fire just for fun. The lady, growing worried, asked the advice of an old man of the village who was known as a very wise man with knowledge of the other world. The old man took an egg, blew out the insides and filled it with beer. He gave it to the lady and told her to break open the egg at breakfast and say in a loud voice so her baby could hear that she was brewing beer for the men at the harvest and then go back to tell the old man what she heard. The lady was very unsure of this but followed the instructions exactly. When she had spoken the words she heard a voice coming from her baby's room. I was old before my time. I have lived before my birth. I remember the ancient oak, an acorn in the earth, but I never saw an egg of hen brewing beer for harvestmen. The lady returned to the old man and told him what she had heard. The old man stared at the lady and said in a serious voice, that is not your baby. On the next full moon, hide in the brambles at the crossroads and then come back and tell me what you see. The lady again followed the instructions. As soon as the moonlight hit the crossroads, the lady saw procession of strange-looking creatures, each playing its own instrument. Also being carried along with them was her real baby. Remembering her orders, she resisted the urge to grab him there and then. In the morning, the lady returned to the old man and told him what she had witnessed during the night. The old man took out a dusty old book bound with skin and opened it. He read a page and then told the lady to take a black hen and roast it on the fire until all the feathers had burned away. Then her baby should be returned. The lady found a black hen and did as she was told. As the smoke filled the house, she saw through the flames of the fire the procession of the fair folk she had seen the night before. She then heard the crying of the baby. Rushing to her baby's room, she saw that her real baby had been returned to her. This was commonplace the world over, 
where cultures believed in these things. Such was the fear people held of these creatures. The fact that these stories always end with the real baby being returned to the parents only reinforced the belief that when people did suspect their own child of being a changeling, no matter what they did to the fairy baby, their real baby would be unharmed, which unfortunately was really the case. Thankfully, today, such practices are unheard of. In Wales, it was said that the fair folk would favour blonde-haired children, so these babies were baptised as soon as possible, and as extra protection, they were made to wear crosses made of either iron or wood of a rowan tree. So what is your opinion? Are there hidden doorways dotted throughout Wales leading to the fairy lands full of wealth and magic? Were these entities in existence to help or cause harm? Do they still reside somewhere between the worlds? When people hear the word fairy, they often think of playful and friendly sprites and conjure up typical images in their minds, much like with the Cottingley fairies. However, as we've discovered, folklore in Wales and around the world have painted these beings with a much darker and sinister nature. Cultures all around the world have their own beliefs and names for these creatures, and more often than not, the tales depict them as malevolent and troublesome beings. Just imagine a creature forcing its way into your home and tormenting you endlessly, refusing to leave, or encountering one of these creatures on a dark, lonely road at night, tempting you with its advances only to trap you in another world, away from your family, away from your loved ones. Hours turn into days, to months, to years, lost and trapped. The word fairy doesn't sound as friendly anymore. If you have your own story to share on this or any of the other topics in our podcasts, please email us on darkwales at hotmail.com. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dark Wales Tours podcast. Please be sure to visit us on www.darkwalestours.co.uk and also check out our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter feeds for news of the tours we conduct in various locations around Wales and for news of more episodes of this podcast. Please be sure to listen to the other episodes of the podcast with new episodes being released every two weeks. Until next time, Diolch Val. Thank you very much. The Dark Wales Tours podcast is produced and delivered by Matthew Rose.